Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, internal support, roles and requirements, part two. Here we go. So look, what we're going to recommend you do is put requirements in the back of your head. Never say the word requirements again, okay? You don't force the customer to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to get the service. You're not trying to guide them through it. What, what we want to do here is you want to understand what their needs and wants are, both spoken and unspoken, and get them what they want and what they need, even if they can't describe it. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, wow, that sounds like it's going to be give and take in the course of, yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And this is how great support providers do Mm -hmm. it. They sit down and they say, you tell me what you want, and then let me ask you some questions. So let's take a simple example. You're in a grocery store. You want one of those tomato sauces you would buy that you'd pour over pasta, right? And you can't find it. You look for a person and you ask him where to find the sauce you need. And he says, aisle 13, and then goes back to stocking the shelves. Okay. Now, think about that same thing in a high-end grocery store, Fortnum and Mason in, L- in London, for instance, or you know the, the Gucci B in, in San Antonio, the HEB in, in San Antonio. Uh, there, there are actually grocery stores. I don't know if this is true elsewhere in the country, but in, in Texas, there are grocery stores that have valet parking in, yeah. the high-end, in the high-end neighborhoods. Okay? You ask where the sauce is there, and the guy says, oh, I'll take you there. I'll be happy to show you. And on the way, he says, what are you cooking? And you tell him about the dinner party you're having and you're serving the pasta with chicken. And he says, well, in light of that, I would recommend this one rather than that one. They're both made to go with chicken, but this one is a little bit better. And the customers say they, when the customers come back, when they buy this one, the customers come back, they buy this one again, Mm. right? The other one, not so much. This one takes less time to cook too. And that's going to be better because you're going to have more time to get ready. And I always like it is dinner parties are hard and there's all, it's always, you all underestimate the time it takes to put together. Uh, and, and by the way, no offense, you probably wouldn't notice it, but there's a coupon over here that it's not obvious, but this coupon you use on this one, you get half off. Now look, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no, 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 no question which, which experience you'd like. Right, right? Which one would you want? And, and by the way, would you pay a penny more for it? <laughs> yeah, you sure would. All the evidence, okay, in that case, is the first person who told you aisle 13 has little knowledge and the other person has a lot of knowledge. You know where you'd rather go back to all things being equal. So then you translate that to your service. How can you leave your customers feeling comfortable, feeling helped, raving about what it is you do? You don't show them how smart you are. You collaborate with them. Don't partner. And I'm just going to say it again. You don't say we're partnering with sales and marketing or operations or engineering or anything else. You don't say partner because partner means you're equal. And and if you really want to be great, you can be great from a junior role. You can say, I serve them. And if, if you have a subordinated mentality, and so for some of you, your ego won't, you're smart. You're a genius in IT. You're a genius at legal. You're a, and lawyers particularly bad. And oh, HR people. Oh, I'm a genius at HR. Unfortunately, legal and HR and IT and finance don't actually serve the needs of the ultimate customers. They support people who actually do. When you demote yourself, the moment you demote yourself, the person appreciates your egoless, your non-arrogant, your confidence in working with them that I'm junior to you, but I have expertise that you need and I'm going to try to help you. That's right. As opposed to this, let's battle and I'm going to, oh, we're partnering. HR says this all the time. We're partnering with them. I'm sorry. If I'm in sales, no, you're not. 
You're not partnering with me. <laughs> you're working you're for me. You're collaborating with me, but yeah. ultimately you're working yeah. for me. Yeah. And and by the way, I don't tell my customers I'm partnering with them outside the firm. They don't allow me to say I'm partnering with them. I serve them. And if the customer wants X, I try to give it to them. I try to understand what X is. So that means what we recommend, point three, you make it a conversation, okay? And you do it quickly. Rather than throwing a requirements document in front of them, okay, you say to them, hey, listen, I'll try to do that. Let me understand more of what it is you need. And folks, in this conversation, it's not an hour. It's not probably even 30 minutes unless they say, look, I got 30 minutes. What do you need to know? Okay. It's probably 15 minutes understanding the rough parameters of what they want and knowing what your requirements document would require you to have in order to create a product, but knowing how to ask those questions in a way that's helpful to the customer. Okay. So you don't ask them to send me an email. You don't ask them to send to, to fill out a form. Okay. Their thoughts are going to be unformed and unclear. So you have a conversation. Get up from your desk, go to them. If you've got to do it on the phone, do it on the phone and say, hey, listen, draw me a picture. What is it you see? And, and by the way, the first thing you ask is tell me big picture what you want and let them sketch out the vision. Let them be expansive. And by the way, after they get done with that, don't tell them how hard it's going to be. Because that's you talking about you. The first thing you say is, I can see why that makes sense. That's powerful. Boy, that's good. Right? The first thing you do is comment, not as a specialist, not as an IT or legal or finance person, but rather on their idea. Okay? And I've just got to say this now. I've got to ask you now for your story about MCI and about OSIS. Because here I am Mm -hmm. sitting here talking about all these support providers saying, let's sit and let's listen to the internal customer Tell us what they want, and let's agree with them. Let's say, wow, that's a great idea. That makes sense. What do most internal support providers say? What do they do? They say no, no right? No. Okay. Yeah. So tell Not that my organization. Right, right. So, so, so I want you to take a minute, because, because we, we're being very specific. Do X, do Y, do Z. But, but tell them your story about flipping from no to yes. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if we've ever told a story in the air. I'm sure we've, I don't, I'm sure we've alluded to it a little bit. Right. But... but This is my history. I took over this organization, several hundred people, customer account system, very core piece of the whole MCI consumer systems that were supporting. And nothing got done without this particular organization. I'm talking about a a piece, not my entire organization, but a piece of my organization that was very central to to the definition of products. It's a central, central. Every single phone call had, every single phone call that MCI supported went through your system in some fashion to be attached with yeah, billing, yeah. right? Every single call. Millions of transactions a day, huge yeah. mainframes, COBOL, DB2, some, I mean, and, and other, other technology as well, but that's the core Okay, of but, but even further, if your system is down, can MCI complete phone calls? Oh, they can complete phone calls, but they can't No support. billing. No, no, no selling, no billing, no, yeah. no customer support yeah. calls. Yeah, the phone, goes, the phone call goes through, but MCI doesn't make any money, and there's no way to talk to customers and no, yeah, no connection to customers at all. If, if you, if, folks, if you want to have fun, if after 30 days you take a roll and you're sitting on a Sunday morning, thank God it was a Sunday and not a Monday, and you're sitting there and your system is down and there are 18,000 telemarketers and customer service reps sitting on their hands because your system is down, that, yep, my friend, that is that That's is a tension. core system. I remember walking up to my wife. She was upstairs. I walked to my wife and said, yep, yeah, I'm on a call right now. Not going really well. 
I'll let you know later on this afternoon whether I still have a job. Yeah. It was uh, okay. So existential risk. Yeah. So big so big system. And if things went wrong, it was like that that particular morning was not fun for anybody on the, the team. The president of the company right? would know. And so Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he was on the. Yeah, absolutely. when Osis so, went down, the escalation list went all the way to the. Oh, uh, it went fast. Yeah, it went fast. So, like, there there was reasons people said no. It was very protective because right because if something went wrong, it was bad bad news. And if it's running now, if you don't change it, it'll still be running tomorrow. So any new request is by it's definition all risk. It's pure risk. It's pure risk. It's pure risk. Well, so right. so by definition, you're holding your hand out all the time and saying pure no, risk. right? No, no. And this and, and so I had when I took over the organization, the organization didn't have a great reputation. Customers didn't like them, and so literally I hired Mark to come in and help me with the balance scorecard. So we won't go into all things, but there were four or five things we want to do this balance scorecard. Actually, let me go back. Let me go back because that was that, mm-hmm. that was the second part. The first part was when I took it over, I set these like these four objectives that were really, really kind of huge, audacious. And every single, and we we had every single one of them. Um, and at the end of this year, people still hated us. Yeah. And it turned out, and it all turned out to be customer relationship. Customer relationship. But here's, yeah. here's what, in one of those four, one of those four things I said was that organization had a reputation of always saying no. Yeah. Of all the systems. Now, I didn't have the only systems. There were a lot of other systems in the companies that were required to support the products and the order processing, et cetera. So I wasn't the only one. just one of the key ones. And this organization, very protective, and always said no. And customers hated it for us. And so I said, one of my goals was. Well, okay, but go further. You're about to say, you said, we're not going to say no anymore. But what did every other organization that was supporting the customers, all the other organizations knew you were going to say no as well, right? Absolutely. And so what could they say when they knew you were going to say no? They could always say yes. They could always say yes because you would backstop them and say no. And they knew because you couldn't do it, they wouldn't be asked to do it. So literally you being the stop sign and saying no caused everyone else to say to yes. a, and to appear to the customer to be totally customer related. There you go. Oh, you guys are okay, but it's Ozan and Osis that's the problem. And so you guys were hated. There you go. Yeah. And so I said, from now on, we will never say no. Never. I, I, the senior man, they they're not yeah. happy. I say, we will never, I don't care. We will never say no. Now, like I'm not stupid. You're, you're I know it's like I know, you're nuts, boss. I know the other, I know the other. Well, there's two things. One is other organizations. Because they knew we had this reputation, we would say that we'd be the first to say no every time. Yeah, they were able, they they used that as a shield, right? Yeah, yeah don't worry about it. They'll say no, right? Say no, and I'm not playing that game anymore. Right. But secondly, secondly, more important is is I wanted our folks to think creatively about ideas. Yeah, you you don't get the option of saying no. You say you say yes, and you go figure it out. Now I knew 75 percent of the time. Somebody else was going to say no. So we're, right. we're going to put that. We're right. going to put that game to a halt. Right, right. And then the other twenty five percent of the time, we're, we're actually going to step actually up. Do it. Or we're going to figure out how to get it, get right. it done. And it totally was a mindset set shift in your organization. Unbelievable difference. Unbelievable. As opposed to being no, you can't mess with us, and we're going to say no without any. And the people who were recommending you say no, your architect and all your technicians and so on, were all saying no with no sense at all. They knew they were hated. But no sense of the effect on the business, Absolutely. no sense of really the impact they were having on the entire organization, they were comfortable saying no because they were basking in the strength of their professional credentials that they had a legitimate reason to say no. Yeah, it's a false. They, they had a false sense of pride. Now, look at They thought that they were protecting the company from bad things. Yes. If the system were, gonna go, were to go down, the company's losing millions, I don't know, millions, I forget what it was. I, at one point I knew it was million dollars a minute, or I was, yeah. it was a lot of money. So yeah, they huge. thought they were protecting the company. What they thought was that by saying yes, that's things were going to go bad. Right. And, 
That's that's where it broke right. down. And, and there's two parts to that. Sometimes it would go bad, and that would be bad, but it would still be less dangerous than saying no all the time. And what's more, if you believe you're going to say yes, and it's going to go bad, sometimes it actually doesn't go bad, and you get the benefit associated with that yes. Yeah. But it's so much easier to just say, I would rather accept the risk I already have than a deal with a new risk. I'd, it's yeah. the devil I don't know rather than the devil I don't know. Yeah. No, look yeah. Like, I'm not stupid. I also, I had that goal of not saying no. I also had a goal that said availability, uptime, yeah. was going to be a couple standard deviations to better than it had yeah. been in the past. So here's the key point. At the end of the year, we never said no, and our, our performance and up. uptime was better than it ever had been in the history of the system. Yeah. So, okay, in this case, you can have your cake and eat it too, yeah. right? Yeah. You just got to be willing to be bold and say no. Yeah. We're, we're not going to say no anymore. Yeah. Exactly. And, and folks, if you are an internal support provider and you think there's power in saying no, we're not going to argue with you that there are, that there is power in saying no. The problem is you're choosing the devil you know as opposed to the devil you don't know, and you are eroding your ability. And when you get upset that the business comes and says, you will do X, and you feel like you're forced, it's force majeure, you have to do it, that's because you've been thinking that saying no has no consequences other than the protection of your resources. The internal support providers of the world have to learn that labor is fungible and manager's jobs is, is to say to people who are already busy, you're about to become more busy and you're going to learn how to get better at your job by what used to take you 40 hours is now going to take you 30 because I need 10 of your hours to be spent on this. Now, I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit. I know some of you are doing the, the you're, you're taking our argument to this extreme. You're going, well, at some point, at some point in the future, that won't work. You're right. And 90% of you listening to this are nowhere near, near there yet because you've learned your first response is to say no. Okay. All right. So we took that little aside. So now we go back and we say, okay, what are we doing? We're not saying no. We're not throwing requirements talking about there. You're saying, okay, first thing is tell me about your idea. Let them sketch it out as broadly and as stupidly and as crazily as you want. Let them, let them be excited about it. We're going to yeah. do this great and thing. Keep your, awesome. and, and keep your mouth shut every time you yeah. hear something that's impossible this, this to you. That's dumb and just, stupid and he doesn't jerly. This guy's an idiot. Oh, doesn't this guy know that you can't do that with our systems and this thing and the, no, he doesn't know. Right. And, and you know what else? And you don't know how to talk to customers the way he or she That's does. Right. That's right. And so there's a balance between what you know and what they know. And that leads to specialization of labor, which leads to higher margins and so on. So you listen to him describe it. And then you start asking questions. Have a set of questions which help you define the parameters that you need. Well, do you need more of this or less of that? Help me understand what you need there. Identify your requirements, but which can be used in a conversation. Okay, not a hundred questions. That's that's not a conversation. That's an interrogation, frankly. Maybe ten, maybe fifteen questions at the most that get you through. I would be willing to bet fifty percent of the requirements documents in the world can be handled by fifteen or so questions. Probably. And in fact, we've asked a couple of experts who we know well to help us frame some that will give some, particularly people in IT, a little bit more detail. And we're going to be rolling out that cast at some point in the future. But some of them to get you started. Tell me what you think, what you hope the end result will be from this project. In other words, what outcome do they want and what will that outcome deliver for them and for their customers? Who is involved, right? Is it just internal people or external to the company customers are involved? How many people are we talking about? How many people it's going to be touched, right? How do you see this working? Let them talk. And by the way, they're going to talk in language that doesn't sound 
like your expertise would use the words associated with that. Your job is to translate. Their job is not to speak your language. Your job is to listen to their language and know what that means in your own language, in your specialist language. Where is it going to be done? And let's be clear, we don't have an unlimited budget here, so what are your must-haves? Good question. And, and you know what? Some of them are going to say, well, it's all must-haves. And you say, well, okay. Don't immediately say, you can't have everything you want, so what do you, what do you absolutely have to have? As if to say, I'm not going to give you everything because I have that power, and so you have to dumb it down or cut out half of it. No. What you say is, what are your must-haves? And they're smart enough to know that of the 10 things they listed, there are really three must-haves, and three more are really good-to-haves, and three more or four more are, yeah, that'd be great, but uh, you know, I understand that there's not a limited, uh, not a limited resources. And by the way, you don't need to go down this list in this particular order. If someone says something which, which you know is going to cause a technical issue, you could say that. You could say, that, that may be a problem, but let's put that aside for now. What you're trying to do is reach some collaborative understanding about what they want in language that you can understand, even if they wouldn't use that language. And that's right. the problem with requirements diagrams. Requirements diagrams say, you have to describe what you want in my language, which, yeah. no offense, your, the internal customers don't know your language, right? Yeah, and, we're not, and we're not saying that there's never a time for you addressing your concerns and that, no. that we're asking you to do everything, whether it's, whether it's feasible or po- even po- physically possible or not. We're just asking you in this initial conversation to suspend your disbelief, suspend your concerns, and focus on the relationship and understanding, truly understanding yeah. your customer's needs. And you cannot understand your customer's needs if your first reaction every single time in your head is why it can't be done. Right. And you start off by saying, I'm going to try to figure out how to do this. And in the first conversation where you're just sketching out the broad parameters, you're thinking, I'm going to try to get this done. Now, if they say a showstopper, say, that's probably going to be hard, but let me think about that a little bit. And you're only having the initial conversation to understand parameters and requirements with the idea, again, I'm going to try to get this done. Now, when you leave the meeting, and maybe it's only 20 or 30 minutes, nothing more than that. When you leave the meeting, you may go back and go, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But you have that thought first by yourself, yes, not right. in front not of in them. Not in front of the client. Right. Yeah, there you go. And then you go back and talk to some other people and say, this is what they want. What do you think we could do? And there's nothing wrong with talking to your peers or your team members, your directs, and say, what do you think? And by the way, when your directs say to you, this is dumb. These people think they can have blah, 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 and they bow up. And say, guys, wait a minute. They're the customer. Let's talk about what we can do. Let's not bitch about what we can't do. Let's not complain about the customer. And by the way, if you're an IT manager, if you're an internal support manager, and you're letting your people complain about customers, you're leading them to become crappy managers when they have your job, and they're going to go vent to the customer about how the customer's stupid, and the customer doesn't be, can't get what he wants whenever he wants because, oh, I've been dealing with people like you at levels removed, and you guys are all dumb, and you don't know how hard the systems are and everything else. And the customer just looks and says, you're a new manager, and you think you can talk to me that that way i don't think so give me your boss yeah yeah and, and that's what happens bosses get involved and force things down and then what do we get from the it people or from the other internal support providers we get compliance that's what we get yeah you, you met mike callahan right oh yeah sure yeah, so I, I don't know if he's listening or not but that's one thing that's great about mike he's a cio of kind of this 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 piece of the business his response was always i mean that's and he instilled it in the organization he always took the position of nah let's understand it let's Let's assume that we can do it first. I mean, let's assume we can yeah. do it and let's figure out. Now, he couldn't always deliver it. Right. right. He couldn't always get it done. Let's start out with the belief that we're supposed to say yes. And, I, and, and, and we can. And it made him brilliant. I, yeah. I respect and customers him loved him. And here's something else, folks. When your customers love the fact that you're the one guy who says yes, when you say no, they're not going to doubt you. 
That's right. But right now, you're saying no all the time, and they immediately doubt you. Right. Because they know your job is to protect resources. And Mike Callahan, he knew his job was ultimately to protect resources, but he also knew he had to balance that with serving the internal customers. And he exactly. was absolutely focused yeah. on delivering exactly. the business. Exactly. Right. So, f- folks, make the, cost, the conversation you're going to have as fast as you can make it without compromising your ability to deliver later, right? I, I don't mean to suggest you just broad brush and let them describe something that you can't even comprehend. Take 20% less detail than you think you might need in order to be able to deliver some sort of rough outline 50% faster than the normal requirements process will take. Make some educated guesses. Trust me, they are, okay? And by the way, you might guesses, say, well, but the- Guesses, that would, that would, that would imply some, some rigor to their thinking. Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> but you, you know, what's interesting is, but, but this is, the, what we're doing is collaborating here, right? I think what happens is internal support providers, particularly in the technology area, they apply the garbage in, garbage out rule. If I write code that isn't clear, if I guess, it's gonna, it's gonna fail, right? And that piece of code won't work. But we're not writing code yet. We're preparing requirements to get the code, and we're actually not even doing requirements. We're getting information and massaging the information that we might be able to turn into requirements. You don't have to have the black and white perfection that code requires until you start typing. You don't. And and too many people say, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. That little piece we might be able to do, but then we'll have to apply these 17 principles. And the customer just rolls their eyes. Yeah, and and folks, if if you don't believe you can make educated guesses that have a reasonable chance of being implemented then I'd suggest you either don't know your business well enough or you don't know your systems well enough. But yeah. that's, that's a problem. You ought to be good enough and know your systems well enough that you can make those kind of reasonable guesses. Yep. Yeah, and part of the problem, particularly with IT projects, is the time lapse between the requirements and the delivery is so long is that the requirements have changed. And it's the requirements process that makes that time so long that then the customer goes, no, the things have changed. Now, you end up with a solution that doesn't meet the requirements, which means to say it's not a solution. And we could have a whole case, and we'll do future casts on the whole agile model of iterate faster, put something yeah. out there, test it, and you'll get better results, generally speaking. Not always, but generally we think the agile model is a more effective model internally to support the kind of needs that non-technical experts who are in key roles in the organization will require of the technical experts that actually have to provide the products and services. And, folks, and the fact that it doesn't always produce a better result, that's okay. This is yeah. probabilities, folks. This is probabilities. Yeah. You're just, yeah. There's, no, there's no system that's perfect. Yeah, I, I'll never forget. I had an IT guy go on a major customer call with me. He was an IT exact who we were going to end up doing something and there was going to be some discussion. And he said, well, what's going to happen in the call? I said, I don't know. I mean, I've got a plan. My plan, they're a three-part plan. I want to understand what their needs are. I'm going to tell them what we're going to do for them. And then we're going to start collaborating. He says, well, where, where are the parameters? Of I said, I don't know yet. I, I, I don't know. I've not met one of the executives here. I don't know. He's a wild card. And he says, this is, this is very disconcerting. It's very, I said, this is the way it is every day. This customer, I, I may not make this sale. I, this customer may not want what we want. I mean, I don't know. He says, what happens if we don't land it? I, said, I look at him and I said, we don't land it then. And he says, well, wouldn't that be a failure? I said, no, it won't be a failure. It just would be a missed sale. And maybe I'll have to go back and, and regroup and go back to him later or hope that the personnel will change. But he's like, are you in trouble if you don't make a sale? No, I make lots of calls where I don't make sales. He's really? He says, it's not all planned out in advance? No. It will, but what happens when you don't get a sale? I said, well, I call my boss and say it didn't go well. And sometimes my boss is disappointed because we have quotas to make and I would hope that I'm behind maybe this month. He just says, this is all very iffy. 
Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that's my life. It's iffy. And we're suggesting that that as long as internal support providers believe that their world should be black and white, but the business sees it as not gray in terms of morality, but in terms of, yeah, you have a plan and yeah, there are general rules, but ultimately everybody's got a plan until they got hit. Everybody's got a plan until the shooting starts. And then you're in front of the customer and the customer changes things and you have to adjust. And if your plan allows for no changes, which is often what requirements planning does, then you're not operating in the real world, the fluid world that the people whom you support internally are dealing with every single day. Right. And when there's kind of that kind of disconnect between the way you see the world and the way they live their world, you're going to have lots of conflict, lots of tension. And if you don't build your relationship with them by talking in a language that they understand, you're always going to have problems. And when you need one of them to support something that you believe needs to be changed, they will not be there. And when the meeting comes down, IT will say X and the business will say Y and the business is going to win. Whereas if you have taken a collaborative approach and you've said, no, I'm going to get rid of the requirements document. I'm going to sit down and try to shape what it is you're doing and make some suggestions and then come back and talk to my eyes and come back to you with this. We could kind of do this and I know it's not as much as you want, but I think it'll solve this problem and we can do it pretty quickly and then we can try it and see whether or not it works. If you take that approach, they're going to love you. And then when you say, the one thing I can't do is X, They'll be like, okay, I can live with that because you're the one guy I like talking to over on your side of the business. Yeah. Yeah. Now, look, fourth point. We really need to make this point. Our experience in most organizations is that a request comes in and then this process takes over. And we're suggesting, folks, an entirely different process. We're suggesting you look at, we're recommending you look at your requirements process and you take it apart. You atomize it and put it back together based on a relationship model that you don't talk requirements, you don't talk the process, you say, my job is to help you come up with what you need and then figure out a way that my folks can provide it, all things being equal, which they never are. And if you're not careful, if you all you do is have that first meeting and then shove it into the requirements process, you're going to end up making them feel like it's mechanistic all over right. again. And so you, we want all of your requirements to get answered. We just want it done in such a way that the customer doesn't feel like they have to translate everything into a language you understand, okay? Look, if you don't understand what the customer wants, we know you need to understand what the customer wants, but a requirements planning process is no better than one that's collaborative. And the collaborative one gives a nod to the relationship that's so important. And it's the relationship that will see you through to the end of that project. Work with your customers so they feel like so they feel like you're working with them. Don't abandon them to the process, okay? Look, if you don't know this, folks, there isn't a process in corporate, in your organization, that can't be bent, okay? That can't be flexed, that at times can't be broken, okay? And frankly, the people who are most likely to break it are the people you serve if you're an internal support mm-hmm. provider. And partly the reason they're willing to break the process is because you're not giving them what they want. As long as you end up with the right stuff in the right places, including paperwork, you can do anything you like to get if you have a great relationship with the people involved and you're trying hard to please them. They're willing to bend things. If you insist on rigidity on your process when their world is not rigid at all, they won't allow you to get what you want in a way that will be helpful to them or to you. Things don't need to take five days or whatever the standard is. Decide that you're going to do it a day if, if in fact, you've got a good relationship and, you, and say, I, I only have a day. What would I do if I only had a day? 
suddenly, and just like your guys, if I had to say yes, how would I do it? Rather than just saying no, you'll find yourself becoming more creative and discovering new ways to do it. You, you need to speak to the right people at the right time and in the right tone. And this is the start of a number of casts we'll do to help internal support providers improve their relationship, in part because they get rid of the idea that their only job is to protect resources or protect the legalities or protect the HR rules and processes and so on. The more you develop a relationship with someone whom you provide internal support to, the more you will have relationship power uh, as you work with them in the future. And every once in a while, you'll be able to pull up a card and say, no, I'm sorry, I have to trump that. That's the one thing I can't do. And the first time you've developed a relationship over the course of the year and you say, I'm sorry, Robert, that's the one thing I can't do. And the customer looks at you and goes, okay, okay. that's fine. Must be so. Bam, that's the moment, right? But the only way you get there is by starting out by saying, yeah. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, you don't start there. First. Yeah. <laughs> you don't start there. Yeah, and so in a way, start developing a system that serves the business rather than living the system that someone else says your job is just to protect resources. Right. That's the way, that's the way to be a professional internal support provider. No matter whether you're in IT or not, ask yourself, what kind of system would you want on the customer end and change your behavior and start shaping a conversation and then coming back with an iteration and be willing to do that a couple of times and you'll end up getting everything you need in the requirements process as well. So don't respond with requirements documents. I'll tell you what, it'll upset the customer and that's not a good way to be effective. Help the customer, sit down with the customer, understand what they want, help them define the parameters. They know that you have a limited budget. They know they have limited people. You have limited people. Make it a fast conversation. Do some iteration over the course of the process. And then don't just throw it. Once you're done with all that on the front end, don't just throw it in the internal support process. But actually take the time to start melding the support process. Even if that means you have to fill out documents that are requirement documents, fill them out for the customer. Don't make the customer fill them out. Folks, you're not powerless to deliver the kind of service that your customers really want. Okay? Whether you're in a 10-person shop or a 100,000-person company, it doesn't matter. You can make changes in the way you work, which will make your customers feel differently. And I know feelings aren't necessarily what comes to mind. You've got to protect your resources. But if your customers start to feel differently about you the way they did about Mike when he was leading OSIS, suddenly you can get anything you want when you really want it. And when you say no, you'll be supported. Okay? You won't be the boy who cried wolf, right? That's what people do. I, I, IT and other people say, no, 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 no. And then nobody believes you anymore. And then when you say no, and they really want it, they trump you with power, and then you're done. And that was the one time you really meant no, as opposed to just being defensive, and now you're left holding the bag, and you've got a mess on your hand. So let's just say no to requirements documents. Let's change the way we work with people internally. Let's make ourselves more about helping the organization be effective, knowing that you still have to protect your resources, but it's not as high a priority as you might have thought. You start developing relationships there, someday some CIO is going to become CEO, and it's because of this cast. There you go. There you <laughs> go. I like that. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this topic. We'll have a brand new one for you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.